Thank you. Turn with me again this morning to 1 Timothy, and we are again in chapter 5. We're in a series of sermons through the pastoral epistles, and we're in 1 Timothy, and we're into chapter 5. And just a little explanation. Uh, in your bulletin, if you have noticed, it says that uh, the text is verses 5 through 8. I'm actually going to read verses 9, uh, 8, uh, verses 3 through 16. My intention was to preach two sermons on these verses, and it was actually later in the week after the bulletin had been printed that um, I decided to go ahead and incorporate, it's all on one subject, and incorporate uh, the the latter portion into the first portion. Uh, So we'll deal with all of uh, this text, verses 3 through 16 of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning. I'll read, and as I read, remember this is God's word. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now he, she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasures is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own And especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list. For when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. It's God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a living book. And what a relevant and practical book. We thank you that it points us to Christ and it shows us how Christ has given his life for his church. How the church has been the focus of your design and how the church is to live function 
and to give glory to you. And I pray this church, our church, North Point, would do that. And I pray that this text might help us to show more clearly how we can. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. There was a uh, box office hit movie made years ago. It's almost as old as I am. Made in 1955. That was entitled, Love is a Many Splendored Thing. There was a popular song in the day that came from that movie by the same title. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the producers of that movie meant by the title, but I take it to mean that love has many angles from which it can be examined and from which it can be experienced. And each angle gives us a different perspective, but each angle being just as splendid or as wonderful as the next. Love is a many splendored thing. I want to submit to you this morning that the church is also many splendored. There are many angles by which you can look at the church, and each one is just as splendid as the next. Think about that for a moment. What is the church? Well, the church is a place for worship, which we're doing here this morning. The church is a place for instruction, a place for teaching. The church is a place for fellowship. It is a place for nourishment, for encouragement, and for enrichment. And sometimes you may be looking at the church from one specific angle, or you may be benefiting from the church in one particular aspect of its life and its work. But they're all equally splendid and all equally valid for our souls. Church truly is many splendored. Now, if you were alert a moment ago when I was going through the different things that a church is and looking at the church from different angles, you may have noticed that I missed something very important. Because the church isn't just a place where we receive instruction and teaching and nourishment and encouragement and fellowship and enrichment. Church is about service. And one of the most important angles from which we look at the church is how the church is to serve people and to love people and to care for people and to minister to people. Again, this is a letter that Paul, an experienced pastor, is writing to Timothy, a young pastor. Timothy is pastoring a church in the city of Ephesus. Paul had been there with him. Now he's away from him, but he's writing this letter, giving him some instructions and guidance on how to do church and how to do ministry within the church. And one of the blessings of being a a part of the body of Christ is knowing that you have people in the body who love you, people who care for you, People who are concerned about you. And people who will help you. You know, we read earlier from 1 John about how God is love. Well, how do we see the love of God? The love of God is seen in His most tangible way, in the way that we love each other. 
And how, Paul, John asked, how can we say that we love God if we don't love one another? I hope that couple from Huntsville last week, I hope they sensed that here. But they sensed the love of God here. In just a few minutes, they were among us. You know, Stephen spoke for a moment this morning in Sunday school about how, you know, to get church right is not just about having the right theology or the right doctrine or just the right teaching, as important as that is. But that must translate itself into the way that we live out our theology and live out our doctrine and live out our understanding of the love of God for us and our love for Him in return. In our passage this morning, Paul is giving Timothy instructions about one particular group in the church for whom the church is to love and care and minister. And that is the widows. The title of my sermon this morning is The Church's Responsibility to Widows. And when you leave here this morning, I want you to understand what a big responsibility that is. How important that is to God. And how seriously the church is to take it. It really is, folks, an important part of the life and the work and the ministry of the church. So important, Paul deals with with it. He uses half of the chapter here to deal with it. Several things from this text that I want you to understand. First, I just wanted to lay out the biblical perspective on this vital part of the church's life and ministry. Throughout the Bible, there are two groups in particular who are the objects of God's particular love, concern, and affection. And one is the orphan. And the other is the widow. All the way through the Bible, God shows how clearly he is concerned about those two groups of people. The orphan on the one hand and the widow on the other. And he makes it clear that we as his people are to share that concern. Orphans and widows have the same dilemma. They are both alone. Back when I was on the road, and I was working for Palmer Home for Children and promoting its ministry, I used to say that the common bond between the orphan and the widow is that each of them had lost their champion. The orphan has lost his father and his mother. The widow has lost her husband. And God is very concerned about the state of both of them. And I want you to get a feel for that from the scriptures this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to a number of passages as we open this morning. I want you to go to Exodus 22 to begin. You'll you'll notice that there is a third group mentioned often. A 
along with the orphan and the widow, and that's the alien. Kind of a common contemporary group of people. Exodus 22, verse 22. This is right after the giving of the Ten Commandments when God is giving some particulars of the law. And he says, verse 22, you, sh- you shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Verses 28 and 29. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. If you go to chapter 24 of Deuteronomy, we find a very similar thing. Chapter 24, verses 19 through 21. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. For it shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of all, all the work of your hands, when you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. Verse 21, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10, you'll find why it is that God gives these particular instructions over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who does not take, does not show partiality, nor take a bribe. Verse 18, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing if you go over to Psalm 68 Verse 5. A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. Verse 6. God makes a home for the lonely. Over to Psalm 146. Verse 9. 
The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. In Isaiah chapter 1, this will be the last passage to which we look. Isaiah chapter 1. In verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, and then it says, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. All the way through the Old Testament, God is specifically shown to show specific concern for those who are alone, for the alien, yes. Specifically, though, for the orphan and for the widow. Jesus showed the same concern, didn't he? Remember, he was passing through the city of Nain and he came across a woman, a widow, whose son had died. They were in the funeral procession. And Jesus cared for that widow in the most remarkable way by raising her son and bringing him back to life. Later in Jesus' ministry, he committed a widow. Remember the widow who gave just two small copper coins? Wasn't much compared to all the rest that many others were dropping into the money box. It wasn't much. It was all she had. And Jesus commended her for it. Then you come into the days of the New Testament church and you find that same concern being expressed for the widow. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, that was the cause for the formation of what we know today as the group of deacons in the church. Because they couldn't keep up. The elders, the officers, or the, the apostles couldn't keep up with, with tending to the needs of the widows in the church. And so they went to the congregation, look, you've got to choose some, some people to help us here. We can't, we can't be spending our time serving tables we're supposed to be tending to the word and the prayer and so the deacons were created and you might recall that James says that pure and undefiled religion folks is visiting widows and orphans in their distress now I say all that so that you will understand the context and that you will have the right perspective. When we come to a passage like this, when Paul is instructing Timothy on how to do church and how to do ministry, he says, look, one of the most important things for the church to do is to care for the widows in its midst. You see, this is not just an isolated instruction that we find here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, but it permeates Scripture and it reflects, folks, the heart of God. One of the ways that we show that God is at work among us is by taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. Providing for the needs of those who have needs, whether they be needs of friendship friends, needs of finances, needs of protection. One of the ways we show God is at work in our church is by ministering to the lonely, 
and the friendless and meeting the needs of those who don't have someone to provide for them. That's the context. Second, I want you to see the clear instruction that Timothy gives is given here by Paul. Verse 3. Honor widows, he says, who are widows indeed. Some translations say who are truly widows. Now, now Paul is going to define later in the passage what he means by a widow indeed. We'll get to that. But we must not allow that restriction, that exception, to deter us from the primary focus of the admonition where, look, Paul tells Timothy, you and the church are to honor the widows. And this doesn't mean just to recognize them or to elevate them, but it means to tend to them, to provide for them, to love them, and to care for them. The word widow here is broader than our usual English rendition of the word widow. It means to be robbed of, to suffer loss, or to be left alone. The Greek word here really does not speak to how she was left alone, but simply to the fact that she has been left alone. It's broad enough to include women who were left alone by means of desertion or death or divorce or through their husbands being in prison. The widow here, however, is a widow indeed. A woman who no longer has her husband, has no means of financial support, and who has pressing needs. The church is obligated to come alongside those women to befriend them, to pray for them, and to assist them. The way the church cares for those in need is a test of its spiritual character. Now the church is to have a broad ministry to those outside its bounds and to whoever God may bring across our paths. I hope that you read in the last newsletter the letter from Uh, the woman from Arizona who was passing through here and when I got a phone call from a church in Arizona saying that uh, this woman, she wasn't a member of their church, just uh, someone who attended was uh, in distress here, stranded, car trouble. And our church reached out to her, put her up for a night, paid to have her car fixed, got her back on the road. We were to embrace those who are outside our fellowship and sometimes those who are even outside the faith. But Galatians 6 tells us that while we have the opportunity, we're due to God, do good to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. We have special responsibility for those who are part of our body. That's the admonition, honor widows. Third, Paul lays out specific qualifications for a widow who is to be helped by the church. And he gives two specific qualifications. One is financial and one is spiritual. Notice in verse 5 where he says, Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been 
left alone. That is the definition. She is someone who's been left alone. Again, that's the second time Paul has used this phrase, widow indeed. He uses it again at the end of verse, the text at the end of verse 16. One who is a widow indeed. Some translations render it a widow in need. The phrase there, left alone, is the Greek word mono, from which we get our English phrase mono, like, you know, someone who does a monologue. That's from the two Greek words mono and logos, alone, a word alone. You know, monologue is someone speaking by himself. He's alone. And that's what this Greek word means here. It's a woman who is alone, forsaken, neglected, without resources. That's the financial requirement or qualification. Then he goes on in verse 4 to give the spiritual qualification. She must be, he says, a woman who has her hope fixed on God and continues entreaties and prayers night and day. Then if you look down at verse 10, she is one having a good reputation for good works. And if she's brought up children, shown hospitality to strangers, washed the saints' feet, assisted those in distress, devoted herself to every good work. The reference here is clear to a believing woman, to a godly woman, a woman who loves the Lord, a woman who prays, a woman who is devout in relationship with God, who tends to the, to the needs of the saints. You may ask, well, why that qualification? Well, it's to make sure that the resources of the church are used in a godly way to promote godly behavior. Look at verse 6 where Paul appears to put a restriction based on behavior, on, based on ungodly behavior. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. And he says more about that later in the passage where he encourages the younger women not to get caught up in sensual desires that lead to, to immorality, but rather to get married, to raise children, to, to tend to the house, not to be uh, idle. You know what, idle, what idle, idleness, not idolatry, you know what idleness leads to? Well, people try to fill their time. And often what do they fill their time with? Well, they fill their time talking, talking about things they ought not to talk about. That's what Paul says. Gossips and busybodies is the terminology he uses. And he's exhorting younger widows to get married, not to get caught up in the snare of the devil, he says. And the temptations laid before them. A woman like Paul describes in verse 6, who is given to wanton pleasure, shows no spiritual life. And one like that not ought to expect assistance from the church church is not required to support a lifestyle that is ungodly or focused on wanton pleasure now that's hard sometimes but the church has an obligation to make sure that its resources are used even in the meeting of the needs of the poor and the needy to promote godliness and holiness you know I've been approached by a lot of people over the years wanting money and, uh, you know, I've been approached by people I know <laughs> weren't about to go to the grocery store. They're about to go to the liquor store or to the casino. 
had this illustration in here. I took it out, but I'll put it back in. That's always risky, isn't it? I had a man come off the street years ago, into my office, wanting some help. And he was a he was a big strapping guy. It looked to me like he could have gotten to work doing gotten a job doing something. But anyway, he had a baseball cap on. And the baseball had the words that said, Go to hell. <laughs> there I am sitting in my office in the church, talking to this man who uh he was asking for help and looking at this, this baseball cap to tell me to go to hell. I use that illustration because I think that's what Paul's saying here. Folks, you've got to be discriminating. I wasn't very inclined to help him. And, and Paul's telling us to be discriminating. We want to help the godly women who are promoting godliness, who are pursuing godliness who are ministering to the saints instead of promoting a lifestyle of ungodliness and immorality. Now look, I want to make something very, very clear here. I'm not saying the church is not to support or help unbelievers. We most certainly should. You hear that? Everybody remember what I said? We should help unbelievers. Paul says, be good to what? All men. Especially to those of the household of faith, but be good to all men. And the ministry of the church to unbelievers can be a powerful witness. But all I'm not saying is the church needs to be careful. Careful in using the resources God gives to it. Here they are. The resources God gives to it as best we can to promote godliness and holiness. Fourth, and I probably need to hurry. Yeah, I need to hurry. Paul talks about family responsibility. Verse 4. If a widow has a family, the primary responsibility for her care is to the family and not to the church. If she has family to care for her, she's not included in what Paul describes here as one who has been left alone or a widow indeed. She has someone to provide for her. Look at verse 4. If any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety and regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, this whole matter of family obligation and of children caring for aging parents is a big subject, one would require its own sermon. And I don't have the time to try to unpack all the Bible says about that for you this morning. But the reality is, folks, our culture has it backwards. We raise children today to wait for their inheritance and to see what they're going to get from their parents. When the biblical perspective is the children and grandchildren are to see what they can give to their parents and their grandparents and how they can care for them and tend to them and provide for them in their old age. We never outgrow the requirements of the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and your mother. Paul here talks about that in terms of making return to their parents. And he says that pleases God. It's acceptable to him. Now I have sons. 
And sons are not always the most compassionate and understanding people on the earth. I know because I am one. That's why Carol and I have long-term care insurance. We always thought we had a daughter. They might be more inclined to take us in. My mother lives with my sister. And God bless my sister. Every day God is pleased, isn't he? That's what it says. This is acceptable in the sight of God. She is demonstrating her piety, the Bible says, intending to the needs of my mother. Now, my grandmother actually lived with us for a couple of years when our boys were little. She was in her 90s. And she lived with us. It's not always easy. Now, we'll say on my boys' behalf, they have promised that we'll help us and make sure we are able to live and we can't work anymore. But that's what Paul's talking about here, folks. He's talking about family obligation. About children taking care of their parents and their grandparents. It's acceptable to God. Then he goes on and puts in the negative in verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I, again, I want you to hear me now. I'm not saying that the church has no obligation or responsibility to a widow who has family to help her. The church is to be concerned about all our widows. Now, at North Point, we don't have a lot of widows. We're a younger church. But I'm thankful. I said last week, folks, I'm thankful for the older people among us and for the widows among us. And, and even though we don't have many, the deacons have, have divided them up and our deacons have assumed responsibility, personal responsibility for the widows in our church to call on them, to check on them, to ask them if they need any help or assistance. And we are obligated, obligated to show the heart of God in dealing with the widows in our midst. Now that's... Paul told Timothy, teach that to the church. Verse 7, prescribe and teach these things. So that, he says, they may be above reproach. Who's the they? The they there, I think, are the church members. You, you, you prescribe this to the church. You teach to the church so that they may be above reproach. It, it's a part of our spiritual reputation. And, and the reputation of the Lord's at stake in how we deal with those who are alone in, in the church. Widows who are alone have a special place in God's heart. And they ought to have a special place in our heart. They ought to have a special place in the church's heart. Taking care of the widows, women who are alone and in need, is one of the ways that we live out the gospel and show the reality of the love of Jesus in our hearts. What did Jesus say in Matthew 25? He said, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you visited me. I was naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and you came to me. I was in prison and you visited me. And his disciples were confused. They scratched their head and said, Lord, when do we ever do that to you? 
He said, when he did it the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And when we do it to any of the widows, or the women who are alone, we do it as unto Jesus. It's always remember what Paul says, honor widows, who are widows indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, teaching it sometimes is the easy part. Living it and doing it is the harder part. Hearing it is the easy part. Carrying it out is more difficult. But I pray for grace, for us to show your heart by having a heart for those who are alone. In Jesus' name.